Hello, my name is Clara and this is The Bullshit Binary. Today you will hear me interviewing Umu, which is why it's only me recording the intro by myself. I was really, really excited for this interview since I first read Umu's work. It is honestly so beautifully written and I had a very effective response to it. She brought to life the archive in a way that I haven't encountered before and I'm so proud of her for this work. In the dissertation, she goes into the archive and explores the life of Olive Morris, who was an activist in Brixton in the 70s and 60s, I suppose. And she even uses her own journal entries to put her own thoughts in conversation with Olive's memory, which is breaking down boundaries of the academic and the personal. I had so many questions to her about that. So we talk about Olive herself and the archive and Umu's experience as a black woman in Britain. And we explore issues of erasure and representation and we talk about new types of representation. And I think it's a really, really great interview. So I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed asking her all my burning questions. Here it goes. Hi, Umu. So today <laughs> I'm interviewing you, which is something I've been looking forward to for ages yeah. because you wrote this amazing piece of work. Mm. Can you just explain what exactly you did there? So I did a research project basically looking at black British history and I kind of looked at the life of Olive Morris, who was an activist in Brixton in the 70s. So she was born in like 1952, moved to London from Jamaica um, and sort of around the time she hit her teens, she got involved in a lot of activism, like with the British British Black Panthers, uh, the the British Black Panther Youth League, uh, in parts of the squatters movement. Um, and during that time, she sort of squatted lots of properties, resisted many evictions, and uh, eventually also founded two really influential black women's groups. So one, which was the Organisation of Women of African and Asian Descent, and also the Brixton Black Women's Group. Uh, and also she, even during that time, she also opened a, a bookshop. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, uh, a bookshop. I think it was, they, it was a black bookshop, so they only really sold like books relevant to uh, members of the local community uh, in one of the houses that she squatted. And this is all by the age of 27, because she actually died at 27 from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma after like a year-long battle. So, mm. yeah, a short life, but well-lived. <laughs> so she was like a really great addition to the community and mm. just... That's amazing. Mm. And the, the archive, that was founded by some of her friends, right? That was yeah. people who knew her, wasn't it? So as Olive passed away, she... Uh, wasn't really around to tell her own story. Um, but obviously people had sort of collected things and photographs and memories that they had of her, um, particularly her friend Liz Elizabeth Obie, who was sort of around during the time that Olive was active. Um, and when it came to uh, putting this information in archive, around 2008, uh, Elizabeth Obie and a woman called Ana Laura Lopez de la Torre who didn't actually know Olive, um, but they bound together and founded the Remembering Olive Collective because they thought it would be clearly important that her history become entrenched. And so from then on, a group of, uh, I think it was quite a small group of women, uh, would gather and meet monthly in London to sort of try and collect more and more information about Olive and entrench her history in Brixton. 
And one of the really amazing things that they did was interview people in the local community. So they conducted, I think, around 30, I'll have to double check, but I think it was about 30 oral histories with people who actually knew Olive. So in this archive, you have all of these amazing tales and um, I don't know, friends, different friends' perspectives on how she lived her life. And I think that's what makes that archive such a valuable and really lovely uh, thing to engage with. And you can go to the Lambeth Archive and access all of this information. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's like pictures, uh, diaries, letters, articles. It's just like a picture of someone's life. Can you explain the importance of why archiving is such a great practice for the community and also such a feminist practice? Um, I would say that archives haven't, like... Yeah, I would say that archives haven't traditionally been very... I don't know, inclusive or feminist or spaces because, you know, traditionally an archive is kind of like a colonial mechanism of remembering history. It's where people have been erased or histories and truths have been distorted. So I think for them to come into an archive and, you know, reclaim it as a space to instill their own history is what can be so powerful. Um, and there are like lots of schools of thought about ways in which to do that, uh, to sort of reverse the damage that archiving has traditionally done and break down the rules of doing that. So like basically valuing different ways of knowing and different ways of understanding the world. Like you could go to the archive and instead of reading through it in a normal order, you pick out things at random, you kind of do away with the expectations that the archive imprints on you you might even like draw in the margins add your own notes into the archive you know write yourself into the history um if your history has been excluded or you feel like you have been excluded i mean i'm not encouraging people to go out and start like <laughs> graffitiing all over archives but i mean why not like it's from the archive that we try to understand history that we form our understandings of the world And so if you're constantly trying to fit your understanding of the world into the outlines of a world designed around somebody else, it's never going to work. And so what else are we left to do when these institutions aren't going to change their way of knowing than to just alter our way of being within them? So what exactly did you do with the archive? What was your project? So the reason I wanted to go to the archive was to look for something about blackness that is so normally so denied to us when we study blackness in Britain in the British classroom often all we hear about is accounts of suffering or um, accounts of slavery or at best we hear about the resistances of African-American figures of the civil rights movement so like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks which is sure empowering but it kind of continually places race and racism as something that happened in the past or something that happened over there in America and not something that Britain is implicated in reflecting upon. So I also think that when we only talk about blackness in terms of its resistance and suffering, we, as important as that is, there also exists there also exist black people in Britain who suffered, resisted, but also lived normal lives. And I think it's important to recognise those so that we can understand the humanity of black people. Otherwise, we get like a very two-dimensional understanding of them. So I went to the Olive Morris archive to kind of connect with this black British history. Um, 
So by connecting with Olive, I kind of wanted to see her in this archival space and return to her a sense of like freedom to exist as a black woman that's not bound by expectation or stereotype. So by understanding her as like a complex human being, I wanted to argue that black women can encompass multiple conflicting identities, um, which I mean, sounds obvious if you are a human being, but it's something that is so endemically denied to black women. Um, I thought we could sort of harness her self, Olive's self-acceptance of her, you know, flourishing identity to accept ourselves. Uh, she could teach us to accept ourselves and be more whoever we wanted to be. Not for being like a monolith of resistance or struggle, but um, just for existing, because I think that it's that humanity that gets so frequently denied to black women that we can literally just be however the fuck, however the fuck we want to, <laughs> however the fuck we want to be. Yeah. And so I kind of did that by ana analysing the different memories that brought her there and sort of found that all of these memories and stories that created Olive in the archive were different and they conflicted and they almost disagreed with each other. But that kind of didn't matter because what it generates was something meaningful and valuable uh, that we can imagine uh, Olive, Olive being. So then with that kind of, I don't know, conflicting, non-defined image of a black woman, I mobilised her. I guess I mobilised her as a representation of my history and I kind of started to write my own notes and diary entries and address them to Olive. Uh, and I sort of spoke to her in the archive. I mean, I say spoke in, like, quotation marks um, because I obviously can't... She's not around to actually speak to, but I spoke to her as I imagined her. Um, and I kind of figured that if my history hadn't been written hasn't been written into the history books, then I was going to write it myself. So I put my own testimony into my research and by valuing myself as a person that can produce knowledge, I wanted to show how meaningful representations of black British history can return people like me, <laughs> parts of their humanity, like normalness, value. I think that's really amazing. I yeah. think that's just such a good step towards decentering, you know, like white male knowledge. Yeah, exactly. And instead taking what you know and actually validating that as what it is. Yeah. Because it is, I mean, it's groundbreaking. It's just <laughs> such a great piece of work. Yeah. And it's yeah. so unique. It felt like a bit of a risk to do something like that because obviously I'm submitting this into an institution that mm. doesn't necessarily that doesn't necessarily value what I have to say. Um, but I kind of wasn't really doing it for the reasons of, like, doing well. I was just doing it as, like, I needed to do that. <laughs> I hadn't been able to read or learn about my history throughout a whole, a whole 25 years of education. I didn't want to finish my education not you know, do it, like, I don't know, sort of succumbing to that and being defeated by that. I wanted to, you know, leave it feeling like I'd at least done something for myself. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> it's very radical. It's very, like, you you broke down a lot of boundaries for the Academy, I think. And also just for the archive itself. Like, I have i don't think I've ever been to an archive, really. Mm -hmm. Had you been to archives before or was this your first time? No, exploring it that much. I hadn't even been to an archive before. Wow. And I, I actually felt 
like so nervous to be in that space and so out of place and so like I didn't belong and, and uncomfortable to ask people questions for help but as I kind of learned more that was what was interesting as I learned more about Olive Morris as I learned more about myself I felt I found myself feeling more comfortable there like I could sit in that space and feel legitimate because this was a story this was like not my story but like something that meant something to me and was part of yeah my history as a person a person a black person or a person of color in Britain yeah can we talk a little bit more about Olive because I think I want to I want to know more about how this archive is now received in the community and how it actually is there there was also in Brixton itself was there a space that was dedicated to her yeah, so I think that in Brixton there is a place called Olive Morris House, right? which is dedicated to her. Well, it's not dedicated to her, it's named after her, but it's right. used by Lambeth Council for various projects. And I think that it's actually uh, risks being demolished. Oh. So again, the, the sort of remembering Olive Collective, the people who brought her mm-hmm. into the archive have been perhaps like, I think they've been getting back together in a way to try and really fight and say, look, we, we, we can't let this person go. Yeah. Um, and as well, I think what I... In the archive, they have lots of different people's stories and testimonies, people who knew her. So the Remembering Olive Collective interviewed different people from the community that are around at the time. They interviewed her in the present, interviewed them in the present, sorry, and asked if they knew about her. And in an interview with her brother, he mentions that she might not have even wanted to have her name on a council building because she didn't agree with institutions. She wanted to sort of fight against the institutions she believed in, uh, I think, more... I don't know. I think she was just more... I think she was quite radical. How do you negotiate that ethically, sort of like having her in that sort of institutionalised space, which is on one hand so important to sort of like keep her memory alive and create like an empowering space for you know young women of color now mm. but on the other hand also like honoring what what was true to her mm. do you think the archive is a good way to do that i think that the archive is a better way to do that perhaps than a building mm-hmm. which people don't even really know is there or hear about um because as well the archive it paints a more realistic true picture i think of her life um and it's free (laughs) to go and look at um but i don't know i don't i don't want to speak on behalf of people because i didn't actually know her i just have this idea of her in my head um but i don't know if that fits with your question yeah no sorry i didn't want to interrupt you no 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 did you also feel like you kind of got to know the community better through her? I like to think so. (laughs) I've been speaking with some of the people from the Remembering Olive Collective, but I haven't really spoken with uh, some of the people, like, that I kind of end up quoting in my research because I don't really know how to reach out to them. Yeah. But also, I don't... It's difficult because I don't want to miss... I don't want to represent her in a way that people who knew her would disagree with. Um, And I I kind of felt torn, you know, using this information 
you like and trying to engage with this community or of people who created Olive's history. But I, after a while, I kind of started to feel like it didn't really matter. <laughs> it, did, it did matter, obviously, in how I represent the matters and how I represent the people who spoke about her matters, but in a sense that my perspective is just a perspective. It's just that because there is so few other perspectives on it that I worry that mine would be taken as like word like perspectives that are published in Mm. in academia on it that mine would be taken and like extrapolated and like I don't know taken as a homogenous idea of Olive Morris all I'm doing is just adding and building upon a conversation that needs building upon that's just been ignored so you really got to know her really well. Do you? Can you tell me about like your thoughts about like getting to know someone so deeply and so intimately through what other people were writing about her and saying about her, and just like knowing someone who isn't with us anymore? Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of hard because yes, Olive Morris is dead, so I inevitably I'm never going to get a full picture of her life. But thankfully, because there are so many people who knew her and care about her that are still around I can draw on that to get an understanding but maybe because it was so I was so needing to find something like that it didn't matter that she's not around because I could so imagine um, and perhaps because of the way they formulated the archive I can so imagine Olive like through the words of other people I can so see her like marching around cycling around Brixton on her bike and uh, marching around protests and sticking up for people. Do you um, think about that when you cycle? Do I think about that when I cycle? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I no. I mean, I think cycling is like a really, really great and important way to take back like public space. Yeah. So, and I know you do cycle a lot. Yeah, so I was I just do. wondering if that's like something that pops in your mind. Yeah, because I mean, as a bit of a tangent, cycling is really intimidating and people are really fucking mean to, yeah. <laughs> to cyclists. <laughs> so like, I feel more confident Especially on my Especially in now. London. Oh yeah. my God, this city is trying to kill us. Yeah, exactly. And Olive used to cycle around, used to, used to cycle, this is just what I've learned yeah. about her. She used to cycle. Uh, so, I don't know. That I think my point is that it doesn't maybe matter if the for me, if, like, when I'm thinking of myself and thinking in my head, if the image I have of Olive is that true or not, because it's so important, it's just so important to be able to yeah, picture you yourself. as... Yeah, in as England, like as a strong... Yeah, yeah I, like, as this person that existed that is in history. Like, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you... I didn't actually... Like see her <laughs> yeah or like <laughs> no I mean I'm not going to go around like spreading lies about Olive no. Morris but like in my <laughs> sorry that's not what I meant in, for my own constitution because yeah. it's so because you're so because you're just so unrepresented as a person of colour I mean what a funny word but uh, in England that it's just you just need something <laughs> I don't know if this is another tangent but how do you feel about the word peppermint person of colour mm, I don't really know I don't really think it makes sense yeah but really make no sense. I don't think it makes that much sense but as a non-offensive way well if we're trying to find the least offensive way to say people who aren't white <laughs> then maybe it'll do um, 
yeah because i mean but it doesn't i don't know it doesn't make sense because white is the token almost not token white is the baseline mm. white is like everything the norm the norm yeah but white is a color still <laughs> i know um but i guess white you're defining yourselves in in an absence of when you're saying person of color it's just like the absence of whiteness i guess but whiteness is like absolutely everywhere and that's why i was writing about yeah there's um a little sentence that i'm just gonna cite now from your work (laughs) um that is that the white gaze that defined blackness in its silence so what yeah. you just said that that blackness or that that person of color defines an absence of whiteness, right? Mm. Yeah, that's in a way because it's a... yeah, I think what I mean by that is that white. When you think of the white gaze, as in I'm talking thinking of like seeing the perspective from being white and not having your reality questioned, you don't off like historically the sort of history and voice of black people has been silenced and so then whiteness i'm not saying like white people i'm saying like whiteness generates an image of what it is to be black without actually hearing the voice of blackness so you become this kind of stereotype i don't know hypersexualized uh violent aggressive tough everything that's opposite to whiteness because it's the only thing that's different to whiteness but it doesn't actually hear but whiteness doesn't actually hear what it is does that make sense yeah what i'm hearing is that you're saying that whiteness only defines itself by by what's good and then everything that differs from whiteness automatically has to carry the the signifiers that are opposite to these good traits yeah and in a sense those bad traits of being black or of being uh and all the connotations that get projected onto being black like like violence like violence make you not worthy of listening to so it's like a cycle in which i don't know whiteness creates a i don't know stereotypical demonized version of people of color and then doesn't have to listen to them because people of color are violent aren't part of british history are uh stupid (laughs) let's say or uh native um and it kind of just goes round and round like that so that's why it's so important to get to grips with the fact that people that aren't white have existed in england and are a huge part of british history be that in in england or through its colonial past um because it breaks that cycle of not hearing the voice of of black people and allowing them to be continually demonised and, mis- and misunderstood and to misunderstand themselves because we have been here and, like, resisted and done plenty of amazing, interesting, con- like, uh, worthwhile, valuable things. Uh, they've just been systematically erased and denied of us. Yeah. So you just have to do a little bit of looking and you find... But I mean, it's not it's not easy, obviously. But um, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe this can be a bit of a last word situation. What do you think people should be doing going forward, especially maybe in the context of the archive? Um, 
Yeah, I think it's so important. But there are plenty of people out there who are fighting to have black history, black British history uh, reinstilled in in the UK curriculum, in UK society, in conversation. Um, I think what is important is to de-hierarchize so knowledge, basically. So to instead of the places where we get our knowledge from, like the archive, aren't on the institutions, aren't really always gonna and clearly haven't got had a history of allowing us in. <laughs> so it might even mean taking taking that into our own hands and. I don't know. In my opinion, I think that we can learn to value the things that we have brought with us as individuals in the modern day, as British people of colour in the modern day, as part of Black British history. And, I don't know, creating almost our own archives in history as we go through life. So all the little stuff that I have collected in my room, I'm basically creating an archive. (laughs) If I can learn to value myself and value the things and items around me, then I can value that that is a part of Britain, that I'm a part of Britain, and that's an important part of history. Um, I think that that is a really key thing that I have learnt. <laughs> Thank you. I think that was a very powerful message. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you really... I mean, you really wrote a beautiful piece of work. You know how much I love it. Mm. And I'm glad we got to speak about it. Thanks. Thank you. (laughs) It was good to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is it for today. We will be back in two weeks with another episode. As always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at the Bullshit Binary and the I in shit is an underscore. (laughs) (laughs) But we can say shit. We can say shit. We're just not allowed to write it. Um, That's it. Yep. Bye. Bye.